So my, my oldest son plays in, in the band at school. If you're new to Norway and don't know about that, that's a thing. Musik Korps, it's a big thing. So uh, Oliver plays in a band. And uh, this week they had their Christmas concert on Thursday. And he has been playing, you know, the Christmas songs for quite a while now. Rehearsing and getting ready, playing them in the house. He plays the French horn. And as much as he enjoys going to the rehearsals and all, it's, it's always exciting with a concert, right? Then as, as we picked him up at school on Thursday, right before the concert, a couple of hours before, just for him to go home and get ready, we realized he was sick and couldn't join. He was super bummed, of course, and for the next hours, a significant part of our energy and time went into one of the difficult jobs of parenting, which is helping your kid deal with frustration and with loss. Helping him deal with his emotions as he realizes not for the first and not for the last time that things often don't go the way we expect them to and that certain things don't really ask permission to happen. They just do. Sorry, this thing here is freaking out for some reason. Do you, you remember that feeling as a kid, that overwhelming frustration, right? that, that feeling that it's not fair, right? Do you remember, or, or rather do you remember when you didn't have quite as many mechanisms for dealing with that feeling? After all, it's not like stuff stops going wrong when you grow up, right? Quite the contrary, right? As we grow and we become more aware of the complexities of life, we also become more aware of the complexities of pain and suffering. And it's not like we don't get frustrated or like we now think that life is fair and everything is fine. No, it's just we learn to cope with it better or sometimes we just learn to numb it better, to sort of behave in sociably acceptable ways when we're frustrated. But do you remember that, that feeling, that feeling that it's not fair, that feeling of helplessness? And perhaps it would be fine if it was just about losing Christmas concerts because there will be more concerts in Oliver's future, uh, hopefully, and, you know, I think it will be fine. And I guess we all have these stories, Right, the trip that got canceled because someone got sick. Right, the, the toy that broke on the very day you got it. The rain that fell on the one day that your dad or mom had promised to take you to the park. But there's other stories, right? There's other stories. I remember a picnic that didn't happen. I was a kid, I don't remember how old I was, a bit over 10, something around there. 
between 10 and 12 or something. And we were spending the summer at, at the beach. And we had planned a day trip for the next day. So we were going to pack lunch for a picnic, and we are going to drive to another beach that was a more remote beach, and we are going to spend the day, spend the day by the seaside. And I was, of course, super excited. Right? I was, of course, super excited. My one fear was, what if it rains, right? And then it gets ruined. But then I woke up the next morning, and I realized that I had slept late into the morning. And the plan was waking up early to have the day there. And then I looked out of the window, and it was a bright, beautiful, sunny day. And I thought, what happened? Why didn't they wake me up for picnic, for the day out? What's going on here? So I started going down the stairs. I was sleeping on the second floor. Already, you know, frustration welling up. And then I met my brother at the foot of the stairs. And I think he was still a bit in shock because all that he said was, Mike and uncle died. That was it. Mike and uncle died. And suddenly my frustration over a lost picnic gave way to a much deeper sense of loss and of confusion, of bewilderment, right? My uncle was, was still young. He wasn't fighting with lung disease or anything. I don't remember exactly his age, but he was something around his 50s, either closing up on that or just turned. He was young, and it was a sudden death. And I had woken up expecting a picnic at the beach. Instead, I had been greeted with a, a mourning mother. It was her brother. And that was the experience that I had not really met before. And that was the reality that I had to live in. Live in. Not live with. That's an expression we have, right? Oh, you have to live with it. And I think that expression can be misleading because it can assume that we can somehow make a space to the side of the issue, right? No, live in. Live in it. I had to figure out how to mourn as a child and especially how to be there for a mourning mother. My childlike expectations for life suddenly had to make room for death and for sorrow and for loss. St. Matthew tells us the story of Joseph. And it's not yet a story of death. But it is a story of loss, or in the least, it is a story of expectation being frustrated and life taking an unexpected, difficult turn. And it is tempting for us to not realize or to brush over the loss in the story. Because this story of Joseph that Matthew tells us is part of the story of Christmas. So it's very easy for us to decorate it with glitter and shining lights. And I want to read it with you. It's in in the Gospel according to St. Matthew in the first chapter. 
Sorry, just getting my... These things are supposed to help us. Sometimes they don't. Oh, there you go. That's what I needed. Okay, Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 from verse 18. And this is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. It's a known story, isn't it? Yeah. We know the story. And, and it's fitted for us very often in this season of the year in which everything is decorated, that everything is supposed to be made nice and perfect. And we... Put Joseph as the obedient, righteous man, the good husband, you know, walks along with his wife, is there by her in the manger. And Matthew does tell us of Joseph as a, a righteous man, right? a man who is trying to do the right thing, trying to figure out what it means to do a right thing in that society. But what we can maybe sometimes miss out here is that for Joseph, this is a story of loss and is a story of frustration. What does it even mean that your wife was found to be pregnant, as Matthew says it, with the Holy Spirit? How do you deal with that? And we just gloss over the fact that here is a couple that has everything arranged to be married, and suddenly, boom, she's pregnant. Which was not, by the way, socially acceptable. It was very tricky for Joseph and straight out dangerous for Mary. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with this? This would mark the life of Joseph and his marriage to Mary forever. This is how it started. It didn't start as it was supposed to. However his intimate conversations with Mary about this went, 
And it doesn't seem like they went all that smoothly because he needed an angel to convince him to get on with the thing, right? That wouldn't fly when he met his neighbors. That wouldn't fly when he as a carpenter maybe had issues because of this from his clients. I don't know, I'm, I'm imagining here, right? But what we do know is that this was not easy. An angel had to speak to Joseph for Joseph to accept this. Because Joseph is struggling. What does it mean? What do I do now? This is not how it was supposed to be. This is not how it was supposed to be. This is a pledged marriage that gets really messy. For Joseph, this is, in a sense, the story of a broken advent, not of a perfect advent. It's a story that makes part of our advent stories, right? An advent is the season of preparing, is the season of getting ready, it's the season of waiting, it's the season in which we prepare for celebrating Christmas, a season of expectation. And here is Joseph, right, preparing for the marriage, getting ready for it, building the house. Everything is set. Everything is supposed to be ready. And then it all goes wrong. And it's worth thinking about the impact of our what I often call over-sanitized <laughs> and perfectionist Advent celebrations and expectations, right? Where it's, everything is supposed to be perfect right, for Advent. The houses are supposed to be properly decorated. The streets are supposed to be shining. You're supposed to have figured out what is the right gift to give to the right persons. You're supposed to be dressed in your best clothing, serve the best food, smile for the Instagram picture. And that's how we tell the Christmas story. Everybody's at the nativity scene, no matter how historically messed up that whole thing is. They're all there, they're all nice, they're all clean. The manger is nice and comfy, you know. Filled with uh, beautiful, fragrant straw, <laughs> you know. The whole thing is supposed to be perfect. But this is not the story of a perfect expected birth. And if we keep on reading, this is not Matthew's only story of a broken Advent either. If we think about Advent as this expectation, and more, this expectation for something that is that God is doing, right? That is going to change everything. Well, right on, Matthew brings us into the story of the Magi from the East, these stargazers and sorcerers from the East that recognize signs of something happening a royal kid being born. And they go after the signs. 
Testaments. And they found somehow they learn from the Jewish scriptures. They bring these things together and they know and they go after it and they look for it. And they come to Jerusalem. But the kid is not in Jerusalem. Who's in Jerusalem is Herod, is the people in power. And they don't know what to do with this. Eventually they're guided to Bethlehem where they find Jesus, probably at this time a toddler, a two-year-old. And they meet Jesus. It's this baby of this poor couple. And again, they realize that their little visit to the center of power will have dramatic consequences. And here we have this, you know, we, we, paint, we painted the three Magi. We don't even know if there are three, but, you know, whoever, whatever. We, these Magi coming from the east with gold and incense and mire and everything is, you know, they're gilded in gold and their camels are fancy. And we just brush over that in the wake of their visit comes infanticide. Comes a disgrace of kids being killed by an insecure despot. Talk about a broken advent. Rather than a baby king gilded in gold and, you know, celebrated by the masses, you have the death of babies because of the greed for power. And then you have this baby who is a miraculous baby, you know, the son of God, being born in these circumstances. And what, how does he spend his first years then after this? As a refugee. He's to fly to Egypt. And Matthew's telling you the story. That's what happens. He has to fly to Egypt. And then when finally... An angel again reveals to Joseph that he can't come back because Herod died. They don't come back to a nice welcome. Joseph comes back and realizes that, yeah, Herod is gone. But the people in power are still dangerous and they have to move. That's, that's how Matthew tells the story, right? That's why they end up in Nazareth in Matthew's telling of the stories. Because they're coming back and they realize, oh, it's still dangerous. We got to hide somewhere else. Let's go to the back country of Galilee. Matthew's stories of Advent are stories of broken Advents, of expectations that get all messed up with violence, with sorrow, with the reality of life. Matthew's stories of Advent are stories of God incarnated in a broken world. In a broken world. And a God that is not present with it as if somehow detached, just sort of gliding alongside our misery. No, a God who is present in it. A baby born into the mess of a marriage that didn't work out as it was supposed to. A baby that is recognized as the, prophet, as the one from the prophets only to bring on its wake the death of other babies. 
The baby that is the son of God but has to live as a refuge, as a refugee. These stories, right? The stories of the broken people, the stories of, of the hurt that we know in the world. And for all the concern that Matthew, as a gospel writer, has with showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies, and of the gospel writers, Matthew is the one who is most concerned with that and keeps on bringing in language from the Old Testament, right? From the Jewish scriptures to let us know that this is the fulfillment of prophecies. For all of his concern with that, he also fills his stories with the sense that the coming of God is not a mere fulfillment of expectations. It is much deeper and grittier than that. And perhaps the problem is when we tell the Christmas story as a story in itself. Now is the time of the year in which we tell it. And we tell it as a, it's, it's a thing. It's a closed, nice, neat little package tied up with a bow. And we start there, right? It's the, it's the story of a beginning. But Matthew, of course, and sometimes we forget this again about the gospel writers, he did no such thing. Matthew did not start with the birth in that sense because when Matthew tells the story of the birth of Jesus, decades after the death of Jesus, he is telling the story of the birth of the crucified. He is telling the story of the one whom he saw die miserably on a cross. And some of you may have noticed something unusual about our altar today. Because that nativity scene has been there for a while without the baby Jesus, right? That's a, a tradition uh, in the Church of Norway, we'll bring the baby Jesus in when Christmas comes. But today, it's, it's not empty. There's a cup with wine, and there's bread. There's the body of Christ, his blood that we share in Holy Communion. That is the story. That is the advent. It's the coming of God into a broken world. And it is a calling for us as a community of faith to embrace brokenness as the spaces where God chooses to be. Our tendency is to want to tidy up. to serve the best food, right? To be on our best behavior and to hide the stuff and the people that don't conform. That's not the story of the coming of God. Brokenness are the spaces where God chooses to be. I'm wearing 
stole today, and the color of Advent is, is purple. This is also the color of Lent. Again, when we come close to Easter and we're preparing for that, we use the same color. And it's the same color on the, ad, on the, on the altar. The color of expectation and the color of reflection and the color of waiting. But it is an expectation and it is a waiting that is immersed in the reality of the world, of sin and of hope, of grace and of struggle. As we come into the season of Advent, or come, we're in the middle of it, right? As we walk through the season of Advent and walk with all the expectations that we set upon ourselves for our celebrations and for our lives and for our churches and for our spaces and for our families, perhaps we need to learn to yearn more for presence than for perfection. Perhaps we need to learn to welcome grace and need to learn that welcoming grace is learning to allow suffering and death as part of our faith. Last week I talked about welcoming doubt into our faith. And today as I look at these stories of broken advents, I want to say that we need to welcome pain and suffering and death and loss into our faith. Because we need a hope and a faith that has space for life. And life has rainy days, uncles that die soon, diseases that break us apart, behaviors that eat us inside, relationships that are tense and don't just flow and don't look like the Instagram pictures we roll through. We have been telling this story for thousands of years in a world filled with wars. If our faith has no space for life, it will die. It won't last. And if we try to tidy up the gospel in our own lives and some kind of expectation that that will fix things, we'll be left with little space for a God who is incarnate in the spaces of brokenness and life, a God that is with. And I know this doesn't answer all the questions, right? It doesn't. Tomorrow we open, oh, tonight we open the news and there's still war. There's war in Ukraine. There's war in Ethiopia. There's war a number of other places. There's still pain. There's still sorrow. We go to our Christmas celebrations, and perhaps for some of us, it's going to be a smooth, great, great stuff, but for some of us, it's going to be a place of pain. 
of dealing with loneliness, of dealing with sorrow, of dealing with broken relationships in our families, of dealing with stories of trauma. And that is why we need to read these stories as stories of a God who chooses to be with us in the broken places of the world. That's why we need to resist to clean up the story of Advent. Matthew tells us of a Joseph that struggles. Luke tells us of a Mary that struggles. John speaks of the light coming into the darkness and the darkness not recognizing it. We sing of hope in the middle of a broken world. And that's why we sing. And that's what we keep on doing. So as we tie up the last bows in our Christmas presents, right? as we clean up the house for the Christmas meal, as we iron our best clothes for the Sunday service. Let us remember the God in the broken spaces. Let us remember that he comes to us when it doesn't work. That he's present when ends don't meet. That he's here with us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that he is gracious towards you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you into the reality of your lives with its joys and with its suffering that in the midst of it all he may bring you his peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the Lord, serve the world, serve each other joyfully. Amen.